Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about Camp Atterbury and its uh, transition with uh, Muscatatuck Urban Training Center and the uh, shift of focus toward emergency management and its uh, marketing itself now as a testing site for new technology. So we're going to talk about all these things today with two guests that we have with us in the studio. Barry Rubin is here. Barry is a professor and policy analysis and public finance faculty chair at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. And his uh, his class, his department, did an economic study of Atterbury and Miscatatech, which we're, we're going to be talking about. And also, Lieutenant Colonel John Silva, Deputy Commander of Garrison Operations at Camp Atterbury and Miscatatech. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington. If you're outside of the Bloomington calling area, which, of course, would include that Columbus area and the <laughs> Seymour area and all these places, you can call us at 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So welcome to everybody. Thanks, glad, glad to have you here today. We're, uh, I'm very interested in this program because <clears throat> I, know, I know there's a lot about uh, Muscatatuck and Camp, Camp Atterbury that we don't know in the modern day. I know Mary Catherine and I both grew up in Indiana and mm-hmm. we probably, you know, from her beginnings in Kokomo and mine in Winchester, it was a matter of Camp Atterbury. That's a place where those guys go to train for National Guard every summer. Um, but now it's a totally different kind of situation, Right. Lieutenant Colonel? Uh, yes, sir, it has. You know, for the, if I can go back to 2003 when we first stood up the installation, I was, I'm one of the fortunate ones that uh, have been there since then. So I've been able to see the installation grow from what it was before, you know, once considered a sleepy hollow to to a surge capacity uh, of uh, thousands of the, on the installation. So mm-hmm. obviously to, to 10 years have, have been uh, very fruitful for the installation. We've had been added to uh, add uh, grow the installation and capabilities. And uh, as, as looking back in the, in the 10 years, you, you know, before we go f- to current, back then we had uh, soldiers uh, working in, uh, in uh, temporary facilities, in, in, in tents, if you will. Uh, none of our barracks had air conditioning. Uh, fast forward 10 years and you've added uh, almost 200 new buildings, uh, miles and miles of infrastructure as far as uh, fiber uh, and road network uh, that has been uh, redone, uh, repaired, or, or new. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it has been a tremendous 10 years for the installation. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to ask you to back up just a little bit more and just give us kind of an overview of what goes on at Camp Atterbury. Because honestly, uh, kind of as, as Bob described, I have a, a weak, uh, kind of vague uh, impression of what happens there. But could you kind of take us up to date on the kind of activities that take place? And, and I should interrupt and just say that, um, Bob and Mary Catherine, I was just like you. I had no sense of what was going on there. And I was incredibly impressed by the level of activity that uh, Colonel Silva is talking about. So there is a huge amount of um, uh, different types of activities that are going on there. And over the last 10 years, there's been a huge expanse of what's happening, including a major economic impact on the state. Certainly, as you stated earlier, uh, we, we've still our focus has always been to train traditional guardsmen, uh, Indiana and other states surrounding. Uh, during the MOVE effort, though, uh, we've added the mission of preparing soldiers for overseas to be put in harm's way, whether Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, in the 10 years, we've mobilized and demobilized around 160,000 soldiers, so that's quite a bit of activity on the installation. And just recently, uh, two years or so, we began uh, mobilizing civilians uh, overseas as well. Uh, it's called the ERDO, we call it, but it stands for Individual Replacement Deployment Operations. And we take contractors and we send them overseas, whether to Iraq, Afghanistan, or other parts of the world, to uh, assist uh, uh, bases in the, their efforts for repair or those type of activities. Mm-hmm. And that mission still continue on and, and should continue on uh, post-October uh, of this year. What is transitioning uh, is the mobilization, which will uh, cease at the end of September. 
What kind of things were they learning at Camp Atterbury? I mean, was it super basic stuff like um, firing a rifle, or was it more sophisticated than that? Well, yes, ma'am. There's 40 core tasks that uh, most soldiers completed while they were uh, going through, uh, depending on which theater they were going. So they were, the training they received, uh, they received their most current TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures uh, for the a theater they were going to. Uh, there was distinct differences uh, between Afghanistan and Iraq. So, th- so soldiers were, were uh, put in, in, into the groups that they were going to, uh, what theater they were going to, and that's what they trained on. Mm-hmm. But the b- 40 basic courses, uh, were everybody did those, and yes, inqu- inqu- included uh, qualification range and those type tasks, uh, reacting to uh, enemy fire, for example. So all those tasks are the same, but there are some level courses that were different for because of the techniques that are utilized differently in those uh, theaters. Okay, now forgive me for staying so basic, but I really, I'm trying to get my brain wrapped around all this. You said over 200 new buildings. How many acres are we talking? This sounds, I've never been, so it sounds like a tremendous amount of acreage. It, it is. A camp battery has 35,000 acres. Uh, Miscatatag is about 1,000 acres. Um, However, the cantonment for uh, Camp Atterbury is about 1,000 acres. So in that 1,000 to 1,500 acres is where those facilities were uh, constructed. Uh, with Miscatatuck, you know, that they, they have about 1,000 acres. And, and that's the thing I want to clarify also is, is that Miscatatuck and, and, and Camp Atterbury are really one installation. There's not two installations. Uh, they're both controlled by the Indiana National Guard. And uh, it is a nine. We call it a non-continuous installation of Camp Atterbury, a, a range, if you will. Uh, we have ranges on the southern end of our um, post. Uh, Camp Atterbury is just, or excuse me, Miscatatuck is just another range that's further about fifty miles south of east of us. Fifty miles south. Yeah. And, and for those of us who don't quite get how how large an acre is, um, that's about fifty-five, fifty-six square miles. That's a, so that's it's a, a huge area. installation right. overall. I want uh, to give our phone numbers again so people can call us and talk about Camp Atterbury, um, the installation which involves Camp Atterbury and Miscatatuck, um, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, the, the switch with, with – uh, Miscatatuck and Atterbury going together and all the different kinds of training you're, you're doing now. I think, uh, as I was saying before the program, I'm aware that um, Miscatatuck may be, and Atterbury too, may be one of Indiana's best kept secrets at this point because of the kinds of things that you have to help train these soldiers and the villages that you've built and everything are, are things that I think most people don't really don't really know. I'm going to turn to Barry, who has been over there and didn't really know a lot about what to expect, I guess, before you went there for the first time, to sort of describe what you saw. Absolutely. It, it really was an amazing experience. And I visited both Camp Atterbury and Muscatatuck Urban Training Center. Um, one of the things that um, we found most interesting, and, and I've gone over there with a class that I taught that did an economic impact analysis study um, this past spring. Um, One of the things that we found that was really interesting was at Muscatatuck, um, there is a decommissioned hospital. There is a an underground, well, a, a flooded um, uh, small village area for training purposes. There is a subway, underground subway that has have had been partially collapsed to provide um, training for rescue and uh, search operations. There is a facility for learning how to work with search dogs and guard dogs, and just an, an incredible set of um, opportunities for not only soldiers to learn various um, tasks, but also for emergency personnel. And um, Colonel Silva hasn't yet got into that element of what Atterbury and Muscatatuck do. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, but um, not only do do uh, um, the uh, does the camp have a major mission for um, training soldiers? But we're also looking at training emergency personnel, not only from Indiana, but for the United States and, in fact, internationally. There have been a number of folks that have come down from Canada, in fact, to work with um, the facility. Mm-hmm. So, Colonel Silva, if you could just give a little bit of background on that. that yeah, would be well, I mean, Scatatuck, as uh, most people know or if not know, is that it once was the uh, State Development Center back in the Roosevelt administration, and it was turned over to the Indian National Guard in 2005. And since then, we've uh, tried to evolve that into a, a full immersion contemporary 
urban training facility, not just for military, but also for all our other partners, uh, first responders, police, SWAT, uh, FBI have trained down there. So it is, uh, it is a, uh, what I call Disneyland because it, it has many, many uh, venues to train on, and we can tailor those to uh, whatever uh, the customer comes through or comes into the installation. Uh, so it's not one one size fits all. There's there if you want to come here to train on this, we can we can uh, reset the venue and and so we can meet your training objectives. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about it being uh, Indiana's what do you call it developmental hospital? Mm-hmm. Tra- I mean, it was. I mean, I, I hate to put it this way. I guess maybe I don't, but. It was kind of for people who had mental disabilities, correct? Yeah, yes, I mean, sir. It was, it was called for the feeble-minded. For the feeble-minded, yeah, yeah, right. Yes, and, and that was closed be, for a variety of reasons in the early 2000s, and so then it was turned over to the National Guard in 2005. But yes, yes, sir. We took already an existing gem and uh, made it even bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and as, <clears throat> I remember having been there to the area where the hospital was many, many years ago, and as I recall, it's really beautiful – uh, terrain, uh, very indicative of southern Indiana, if you think of the the hills and, and valleys and, and that sort of thing. So I think that would be kind of a, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, almost an added bonus to have that kind of uh, terrain to work in. Uh, yeah, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barry talked about the flooded village. I mean, there's that that one neat avenue or neat venue to train on. It's, it actually is a village that sits underneath water. The water is all, all the way to the rooftops. Uh, what is uh, uh, used for first responders to uh, rescue and rest, search and rescue for, as well. And what's the story with the subway? The, the subway is also for a training for a— uh, Was for, it already for, there? I mean, or what? I mean, uh, was it no, no, built it, specifically it, for training purposes? It, it surely was. And it was actually the, the subway itself was uh, uh, given to us from uh, Chicago Transit Authority. <laughs> it's actually a, a, a car that it sits in the in in subway. Uh, for to train first responders. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually cleaner than most subways. Yeah. <laughs> There's no graffiti on this one. No. Yeah. Oh Colonel Silva, how, how, um, you know, how busy are you? I mean, how much training is going on there? Uh, these, uh, and these groups, when you talk about um, people from Canada coming down and whatnot, are these, are these on contract? So it's, uh, people are paying to come down and train at the facility? Uh, they, they, yes, they can. They contribute to the um, what we call the, the stone soup approach to the installation where – I don't know if you know the fable or the story mm-hmm. – uh, that everybody contributes and not, there's not one single bill payer. So everybody shares in this and everybody benefits from the installation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have our, our national partners or international partners come in and train at a much lower cost than they would anywhere else because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are there – so, uh, again, about in terms of how busy you are, do you schedule trainings like six months out or can somebody call you today and say, hey, you know what, we're worried a tornado might come through after what happened in Oklahoma. We want to train in some way uh, to be prepared for two weeks from now. Yes, yeah, so we typically you know, forecast a year out for, for uh, training purposes and schedule folks. Um, it was harder to do when the mobilization load was at, once at the peak, but now as it's winding down, there's a lot of uh, space available. Mm-hmm. Okay. For those uh, last John, you might want to mention the Army North training. That's the biggest one, and that is huge. So yeah. That is an uh, exercise uh, with a different scenario every year. One, one year it was uh, for preparing for a uh, or reacting to a nuclear threat. Um, but there's 8,000 Folks come in, uh, not just soldiers, but yeah. So eight thousand a year, or eight thousand for, for the exercise for that particular oh for that one exercise. Well, yeah. and, and again, they're throughout the community, and they're between both inst- uh, both parts of the installation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're for two weeks. Yes, sir. Two Where weeks. do you even house eight thousand people? We have capability to house on the installation for at least 5,000 and some in the, in the operating bases out in the training areas. And then Miskatatuck has a capability of housing another 1,000. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so what happens, just because I'm curious, and I'm sure other people who are listening are like, well, this has got to be quite a sight to see. What happens if you pull up to the gate? Is anybody allowed in or is it, um, you know, when it <clears> – <throat> The, the military installation where you met with by guards, and if you don't have a pass, you're not going to get in. They're both very similar. Camp Atterbury is uh, it's obviously you're going to be stopped at the gate, and, and it's an open installation. So if you have an ID card or a driver's license, you'll be able to get in as long you know if you're going to go visit somebody or see a training exercise, for example. Miskatonic operates a little bit differently because if there is a, an exercise going on, you can become a role player for that exercise. 
So if you're coming in as a civilian, you can be part of that. You can be taken as a hostage. Uh, so you're automatically a role player if there is exercise going on. But we advise you of that before that. So when you show up, <laughs> you you have to agree, hey, whatever happens to me in here, I'm going along with it. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And that's actually part of the folks that are um, have uh, facilities there, too. They operate either the, the, uh, uh, like the pizza shop or some of those uh, uh, shops there on the installation. They, they agree to that that can happen. They, can, they are... Uh, part of the the play never yeah, a dull moment huh no <laughs> now, <laughs> now if people are a little bit risk averse there is an open house at camp atterbury and i think that takes place every at the beginning of every october right yes and we, uh we invite the community yeah. to come in and, and meet meet uh, see some of our venues and, and uh, meet some of our soldiers and and uh, just have a good time with us mm-hmm. all right again eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition as always mary Catherine and i learn things on this show and today oh, we're yeah we're learning a lot um the uh, barry rubin you your uh your class at SPIA did this economic study, and, I mean, we're talking about 8,000 people coming for one exercise. Obviously, that's going to have a big economic impact. So what did you what did you find? Give us a few highlights of what you found. Well, it, to me, it was very eye-opening. I had no idea that the economic impact was so large. And I think that's true for most people across southern Indiana and even in um, state government. I'm not sure people are aware of how big an impact um, the Atterbury-Muscatatuck complex really has. Um, just to give you a little bit of background on the study, um, within SPIA, the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at IU, we have a master's degree class um, that our graduate students take. It's called our Capstone in Public and Environmental Affairs. We offer multiple sections of that um, every spring, and each class focuses on a different project. The classes are usually 30 students in size, and what we're doing is having our second year just about ready to graduate, master's students take the class. They have acquired a good bit of skills, lots of professional expertise, and this is an opportunity for both them to exercise those skills and and actually contribute to um, society by doing a directed project um, with a faculty member and to work with an actual client. And then from the community perspective, um, those organizations and agencies that participate get the benefit of those studies, uh, usually a very professional report that's done that highlights a lot of issues that they're interested in. So this particular one focused on the economic impact of Camp Atterbury and Muscatatuck. We actually started it uh, about a year ago um, when the uh, um, we were able to hire a couple of part-time students who were also going to participate in that workshop, in that class, and they started laying the groundwork for the study by collecting some of the data. And one of the things that we discovered was that the data that's out there on Camp Atterbury and Muscatatuck is just huge. There's just a huge amount of it. It's very complex. It's split between federal and state sources since the facility operates for both and is paid for by both. And there were complexities that I think none of us really <laughs> anticipated trying to deal with, but we were able to work through those to figure out what the uh, economic impacts were. So to get to the bottom line here, literally the bottom line, um, we found that the post is directly responsible for 2,900 jobs in the region. So those are employees who work for for Atterbury and Muscatatuck and contract with a number of additional suppliers and supporting industries, that's another 143 jobs. Then when you look at what's called the multiplier effect, and for each job that is actually created at Atterbury and Muscatatuck, there are more jobs that are created in the region due to the Mm -hmm. fact that money that's paid to employees is spent in the community, that money circulates throughout the economy and creates this multiplier effect. So for the the actual jobs, there's a multiplier effect of 1.44, which means for every job that's created at Atterbury, there's an additional 0.44 jobs that are created in the community. Mm 
So those 2,902 jobs actually get multiplied to a total of 4,106. And, and so just to be clear, these are all civilian positions that we're talking about right, right now. These okay. are basically – well, there are some military jobs in there as well as well as civilians. But the, the multiplier effect is all civilian jobs. Mm-hmm. So there's an additional set of 1,000 – over 1,000 jobs that's created just by those spending um, activities for employees within the base. In addition to that, even though Atterbury and Miskatatuck don't pay taxes, the employees do. And the taxes that employees from the base contribute to local government is on the order of $10 million. So Mm -hmm. there's $10 million um, generated in taxes. And then if you translate the employment and actual spending for different um, facility activities with its multiplier effect, you get an economic impact of $399 million per year. Wow. Now, to put that in perspective, the total economic impact of the 2012 Super Bowl in Indianapolis was $75 million. Hmm. So we're talking about a facility that has a much, much larger impact, and it's every year, mm-hmm. not just annually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then in addition to that, and this is sort of the icing on the cake, One of the things that we took a look at, and it wasn't even something that um, General Tooley, who's the assistant adjutant general in Indiana, who kind of asked us to to do the study, he hadn't even asked us to look at this. But it occurred to us that one of the other um, impacts, and it goes beyond just economy, is that a facility like this, especially one that has a good bit of military personnel, would probably be involved in volunteer activities in the community. So the students in the class did a survey. It went through all of the standard survey research approvals on campus. We had the assistance of the Center for Survey and Research Mm -hmm. in doing this. And the students discovered that in addition to the overall economic impacts that I was talking about, there is approximately 50,000 hours of volunteer time coming into the community from employees at Atterbury and Muscatatuck. And that's a very, very impressive number. Yeah. Um, not only did we do that survey, but the students interviewed a number of nonprofit organizations within the community who, to an organization, basically talked about how important that was to their activities mm-hmm. and how wonderful it was to have um, employees from um, Atterbury and Muscatatuck. And in fact, the very, very volunteer-oriented nature of anyone who is in the military. They're very, um, they're going to be in the military because they do want to contribute. That translates into these volunteer hours for these organizations. And they become not only very good at providing hours, but they're also some of the most productive volunteers mm-hmm. that the organizations have. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a, a huge economic impact. We're going we're to take a short and break. Human. And, and, and human. And when we get back, we're going to talk about more about that impact and about a few other Issues uh, like, uh, you know, the possibility of a BRAC coming up and a lot of other issues that that we Mm. probably need to talk about. Um, But we're talking about uh, Camp Atterbury and Muscatatuck today. Uh, It's one installation. We're talking about it with uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Silva, Deputy Commander of the Garrison Operations at Camp Atterbury, Muscatatuck, and Barry Rubin, Professor and Policy Analysis and Public Finance Faculty Chair at uh, Indiana University's School of Public and Environmental Affairs. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia. And short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. 
Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're talking about Camp Atterbury today, and uh, we have two guests, Barry Rubin, professor in policy analysis and public finance faculty chair, School of Public and Environmental Affairs at IU, and Lieutenant Colonel John Silva, Deputy Commander of Garrison Operations, Camp Atterbury, Muscatatuck. If you want to join the conversation, phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Barry, you wanted to correct something you said right before the break? Uh, yes, I mentioned that the, the Super Bowl impact was $75 million. That actually was an incorrect figure. Um, the actual number was around $300 million, and the $75 million was the difference between the annual economic impact of Atterbury Muscatatuck and what that Super Bowl um, figure was. And just to review, Atterbury Muscatatuck is higher, $75 million right. higher That's correct. Right, than the Super Bowl. Okay, well, one thing I wanted to to mention, and, and I don't think we'll need to spend too long on this, but, you know, there's been some discussion, Indiana, Ohio, uh, in particular, I think, have been talking about how if there's uh, some sort of study of new drone technology, these two states have said they'd like to be involved. Is this something that we can look forward to seeing at Atterbury Muscatatuck? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. Actually, there is a, a future uh, um, radio program, I believe, in the same radio station in, in July, mm-hmm. where Matthew Cockler will be in from the – he's the executive director for the National Center for Complex Operations. Uh, he will discuss some of those initiatives that involves Ohio and Indiana. Um, but, but for us, if we can say at this point, is our, our goal is to provide a, the platform for those uh, systems, uh, n- not the training part, but just the platform. And, and as uh, General Tooley once uh, told us, I mean, and it, uh, Professor uh, Rubin, if you remember, his, his analogy of Camp Atterbury for, to the students so they would understand is Camp Atterbury Muscatatuck is really like an iPad. We provide the platform, and then all the partners and, and some of the folks that need to come train provide the apps. So we can say, we've got an app for that. So if you want to come and train uh, your, your working dogs on search and rescue, you know, we have an app for that. There's a site on the installation that you can do that. If you want to come, you're a first responder, you want to come train uh, rescuing folks from a, a, a flooded village, we've got an app for that. You come and train for that. So that, that is the, the intent of the installation. And the same thing for the UAS, mm-hmm. to provide the runways and, and those requirements on the infrastructure side so entities can come perform their training. Mm-hmm. So, okay, runways, you've got a functional airport within the base? Uh, the, there's a runway, a 4,200 linear foot runway on Camp Atterbury, and then there's also a UAS, uh, more austere runway, that uh, can be used for launching a recovery of, uh, of UAS. I don't know what that is. Yeah. The, 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 the drones. Oh, the drones. The drones. Okay, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so when when there's talk with sequestration of closing down airport control towers, I, I, I know the, the some of the airport directors have said that the re- one reason not to close their towers is because of Atterbury and the flights that are going in and out of there. Is that something that you're aware of? Or I was not aware of that, but it doesn't has not affected us uh, at this point. Okay. All right. Well, we have a phone call, so if you want to get your headphones on, we have a phone call uh, from Darren in Bloomington. Yes. Um, coincidentally, this weekend is a, an event on campus called Indie Film Con, and it takes place at um, the IU Cinema and the Radio TV building. And I wondered about the – I remember talking to gentlemen one time about the facility being available for movie makers. Uh, typically of the apocalyptic nature, of course, uh, <laughs> zombie attacks and things like that, because of the nature of the facility. Um, and I wondered if you could discuss that a little bit, maybe some films that have been made there, and maybe uh, I think it was several hundred dollars a day without moving equipment or personnel, and then more if you had that. So I wondered if somebody could discuss the uh, filmmaking component of that. Do you have an app for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Darren, I'm not really familiar with the uh, any of the film, uh, filmmaking capabilities. 
Barry, could you see that as an economic impact? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Um, Film production in Indiana is a growing industry, and it has a good multiplier effect because it uses a lot of linkages to other elements in the economy. And my guess is that the um, the the both Muscatatuck and Atterbury will probably be open to that simply because. It, again, as Colonel Silva said, it's an open facility, mm-hmm. and we were certainly allowed to take pictures and videos when we were there, so I wouldn't see that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your question was for in the future or something that's happened in the past? Well, it's, uh, pr- uh, it's happened in the past, and it should be uh, available in the future. There have mm-hmm. been some films made yeah. down there. Yeah, okay. In the future, I, I, exactly what uh, Dr. Rubin said. I mean, there is something that we can uh, definitely look at. But in the future, I'm not really familiar with anything that could have oh, okay. happened. All right, great. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Darren. Uh, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, Barry, you mentioned you could take all the pictures that you wanted. I know one – my wife has been down there on some training exercises. She's with emergency management at uh, emergency, emergency communications at IU. And uh, she, she took a picture of a camel that's down there. What's the story on that, Colonel Silva? Uh, that is the uh, Afghan village to uh, use to train uh, folks going to, uh, obviously, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So they can uh, prepare uh, some of the sites and, and, and what they'll see out there. And also there's the embassy there to prepare uh, uh, to uh, some of the foreign negotiations with uh, some mm-hmm. of the leadership there and you'll find in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So this is not a petting zoo app. It's actually the environment. Uh-huh. That's amazingly inclusive. Uh, I mean, it would never occur to me to expose outgoing soldiers to kind of the flora and fauna, if you will, of, of the location um, or, or their future destination. Do you also do that with food, or do they pretty much stick with um, um, Army-provided food when they're— uh, In training? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. We, we have a, a food vendor that provides that food for all our soldiers and uh, civilians. But there is also a day where uh, they provide the local uh, foods um, for those going through the class. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Well, um, uh, on this whole topic of, of the, the camel, the embassy, the, just the, the cultural aspects, I guess, is, is something that I think a lot of people overlook sometimes when you're sending um, troops into uh, a different area, the, the cultural training. And I know, you know, you're, you're going to be – Drawing down that part of the, of you know what you do at Atterbury, but uh, could you talk a little bit about about the whole issue of, of and, and was that part of the, the core forty? To, to it it was. About? We actually had uh, role players from uh, the uh, countries that the soldiers were going to, so they familiarize themselves with the either different dialects or in some of the language barriers that they'll see, mm-hmm. so they can rehearse and practice before they get into theater and do it for real. But mm-hmm. you will still be making some of those services available to people who are going over as contractors, right? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay, so, yeah, it's probably on a slightly lesser scale than, than when you were sending 160, or, you know, over the course of the years, where you sent 160,000 people. Right. Uh, well, the numbers of the civilians is still a great number. We're uh, averaging 25,000 a year of moping wow. and demoping. So we're sending some and receiving some back. So that is still a large number. Mobing and demobing? Is well, mobilizing and demobilizing? Uh, yes, So sir. when you demobilize someone, that's just they come back? And they, they come back. We check their the records, make sure they're administratively uh, okay, and then also medically as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We've talked in the last decade or so, it seems to me, a couple of different times, maybe the last 15 years, about uh, base realignment and closure, the whole the BRAC is the acronym. We usually talk about it uh, in terms of crane, or at least we have down here in our area. Um, what kind of a threat might a BRAC be for Atterbury? At this time, I really don't, don't foresee any because one of the things that we talked about Miskatatuck and how unique it is, it is the only installation that's like this in the DOD inventory. So mm-hmm. um, That's a good place to well-position then. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. It, in fact, BRAC is an opportunity for Atterbury and Muscatatuck. And the fact that there are going to be bases around the country that will be closing free up a number of activities 
that Muscatatech and Atterbury can bid on and mm. possibly bring to Indiana. And every activity comes with employees and expenditures, and those activities will, again, enhance the economic impact of the base. <laughs> and this is at a time when, well, as everyone knows, manufacturing is decreasing, at least in terms of their employment impacts. Um, the multiplier effect that we were talking about previously for Atterbury and Muscatatuck, Muscatatuck is actually slightly larger than it is for manufacturing. Manufacturing has a 1.4 multiplier effect for new job development, whereas Atterbury, we found, have 1.44. So, in fact, as um, manufacturing activity goes down within Indiana, any activities that are brought into the base becomes a substitute for some of that loss of manufacturing, which is really good. So, in fact, you're really anticipating growth um, fairly substantial. I mean, what are you, pro- what are you projecting? I, this sounds like this could have really quite a major impact on the, on the region. Yes, ma'am. And it's hard to estimate at this point. We know we are, you know, are uh, with a mobile mission, our full-time force will um, draw down somewhat. But I think with the ini- new initiatives and also, as Barry's talking about, having other, uh, grabbing other business from uh, um, other forces or other states to come to Atterbury, I think that will certainly increase our uh, a place. Mm-hmm. And when you think about new services that you might be able to attract or, or bid on, is this, again, does this go back to the whole idea that, you know, you'll build an app for pretty much anything? You've just got the facility there? And- y- yes, sir. And because we have all these uh, new infrastructure that's been put in, I mean, if you're talking about 200 buildings, that's a tremendous amount of infrastructure that's new to the installation that we didn't have prior to. So we, we have the capacity now to not just continue our core mission of training uh, National Guardsmen but also we can probably, or not probably, definitely uh, take on some of the missions for active duty to come and train on the installation. Mm-hmm. And I, it sounds to me like the nice thing about your facility is that these are new construction buildings. So as you said, they also they not only have traditional infrastructure, but they also have some of the higher tech infrastructure that is important to support the kind of activities that people are engaged in now and in the future. Yes, every facility we build uh, outside of the barracks themselves uh, well, ha- has infrastructure uh, such as the fiber and, the ca- and those uh, network capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned Crane before. What kind of relationship does Atterbury and Muscatatuck have with Crane? Still in the infancy stage. I mean, uh-huh. we're, we're looking at some of the things missions are doing out there. As a matter of fact, we're right now putting a, uh, um, a contract out. So hopefully we can get some uh, augment our UIS cyber and some of our, our other new initiatives that uh, um, Crane is already established and using. So hopefully we can, uh, with our sister installation, uh, we can pony on some of those uh, things that they've already done or doing. I think uh, another sort of overriding part of this, this show today, hopefully if people uh, learn, what, when, they, when they decide what they're going to learn from it, is, is how big a deal the military is in, in Indiana. Because um, Professor Rubin talked about the economic study of Atterbury, and there have been similar economic studies of Crane, and they show mm-hmm. similar kinds of things. I think Crane, with the, the various uh, the Army the, and the Navy down there, have maybe four or 5,000 people uh, employed as well. So uh, when, when we talk about um, you know, our, our, uh, our, our legislators, our, our congressmen who come back from uh, Washington, I know Senator Coates recently talked about, you know, he thought there'd be a, a, a BRAC in 2015, and, and he and uh, Susan Brooks, I'm not sure who else, are, are already sort of preparing to tell uh, Atterbury and Muscatatuck as well as Crane's case for this. Um, do you see a lot of um, um, coordination, I guess, between uh, you know, all the military installations when it comes to people who are in those positions to to make the case or do you do you work specifically with you know one or two people or is it the whole delegation of, of Indiana lawmakers that you're working with that was really a bad question and I apologize for that but <laughs> Yeah, you mean as far as our delegates? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you work with a few? Are there a few that are particularly strong partners with you, or or is it the entire delegation? I think the entire delegation to include the the governor and and Mm -hmm. his staff. Mm 
mm-hmm. have come visit the installation on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Governor Pence was actually there on one of the days that uh, the students came to give one of their progress reports, mm-hmm. and that was very interesting. And um, I do know that one of the purposes that the the study um, serves is to provide some information to both the congressional delegation, the governor's office, and the state legislature as to the magnitude of Atterbury and Miskatatuck's impact and to seek any help we can get from our elected officials in attracting some of these new activities to the facility. Mm-hmm. Colonel, um, do you have any idea what kinds of new services Atterbury would look to bid on in the future? Well, as we said before, is all the infrastructure that's sitting – no way do we want this new infrastructure to sit idle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to have as many folks coming through to train, whether it's to, uh, on just normal soldier skills, training there on the uh, on the base itself, or going to Miskatatuck and using some of the other training venues that are, training, that are located down there. Uh, mm-hmm. So that is a, our biggest goal. Is, you know, the Army has invested so much uh, on Camp Atterbury because of the war effort, uh, as I said, close to uh, half a billion dollars. So having all that investment to sit idle is, is certainly not the way we want to. And, and how did that – I don't know. Maybe you can answer this and maybe you can't. But why Camp Atterbury? I mean, there are bases all over the country. Why did they cho- – do you know why they chose Camp Atterbury in the middle of Indiana or southern Indiana to, to – that's a significant in- investment in infrastructure. Well, because of the mission that was going on of the mobilization. So uh, whenever we had soldiers on the ground, we, like I said, we were, we were pretty austere installation prior to uh, as far as the infrastructure-wise and some of the quality of life uh, amenities on the installation. Uh, as we mobilized more and more of the reserve forces, uh, certainly we, there was a need. So uh, the Army um, has uh, – provided that investment, and we've grown through time. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about 10 years of mm-hmm. investment uh, to uh, to get to that level of $500 million. So how many people live there pretty much, you know, all the time? Uh, we don't have any permanent housing there on the installation. The, the only ones that live there overnight are the uh, those that are training there. So if you're a mobilizing soldier that comes in, you're going to be there 35, 40 days training, and then you'll move on to the theater. So you're in the barracks? Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, the permanent staff, full-time employees, myself, m- all of us live in the surrounding communities uh, and travel into work every day. Mm-hmm. Where do you live? At Greenwood. All right. Okay. okay. All right. Interesting. All right. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program. If you want to call us and talk about Camp Atterbury and what's going on there, um, and that includes Miskatatuck, you can give us a call at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org. Slash noon edition. Um, you know, some a, a lot of times this whole issue of various bases becomes sort of a political uh, animal. Um, people are fighting for their own bases. Uh, you know, well, and you, you constantly have the sort of Damocles dangling over your heads. It feels seems like. Yeah. Do you think this is? You know, is this really a troubling thing for you, Colonel, or is it maybe in some ways a good thing because it makes people focus on learn about you, focus on what you're going to do, make you sharper. Are those things, or do you just kind of wish the politics would just leave you alone? Well, I don't think the politics will ever, <laughs> ever leave anybody alone. But uh, you know, for, for us, we, we just focus on what we do. What is our tor- core task? We try to do the best we can, uh, obviously provide the best customer service for all our folks that come in to train and utilize the facility, whether they're soldiers, civilians, or, uh, or some of the police uh, or law enforcement entities. And we try to do it at the lowest cost possible using the stone uh, stoop approach. Mm-hmm. So as long as we focus on that, I mean, I think we'll we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I had another interesting observation I think Uh people would be interested in hearing about. We were talking about the technology and the infrastructure investment. Um, What I was amazed to see was that there are a number of facilities on the base that are intended to provide technology simulations of actual experiences that soldiers and emergency personnel might find themselves in. One of those, which was very, very impressive, was a rollover facility, rollover um, activity that was provided to each soldier who was uh, mobilizing. And the device was one where soldiers would sit in the personnel carrier, and it would actually roll over to simulate 
simulate vehicles going off the road and rolling over in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever um, they had been demob- mobilized <clears throat> to. And I have to tell you, it, it creates an environment, and having been in it, um, and being upside down twice, I didn't have to get out while we were doing that. But um, that type of technology really, I can imagine, saves people's lives all the time. There's an electronic um, shooting range so that when soldiers are going to actually start working with the, um, their um, rifles, the, the M4s that they're usually deployed with, they can practice with electronic um, simulation first not only saving on ammunition, but also learning the basics of the um, mechanism and saving time, getting more familiar with it. They have a simulation of a personnel carrier that um, experiences hitting an IED, and uh, it allows soldiers to experience that and then the aftermath of that and learning how to deal with the, the issues that go on with that. So besides just the, um, the basic training that goes on, the infrastructure in technology that they've invested in is quite impressive. And I think it's, it's very low cost for the number of lives it probably saves. So that's the kind of technology that can be utilized, I think, for a lot of additional activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got to explain to me. I don't understand how experiencing the rollover um, is, saves lives in the long run. Well, for us, they didn't stop it when the vehicle was upside down. They just continued rolling over, so we were right side up. But as I understand the activity, um, they will stop when the vehicle for a soldier when the vehicle's upside down that soldier has to exit the vehicle they often simulate people who have been injured they have to take that person out and uh, help get that medical attention oh. so basically it gives them a sense of here's what you do if this occurs to you when you're actually in the theater okay that so, i understand yeah, okay yeah. thanks Earlier in the, in the war effort, that was uh, we, we've lost uh, quite a few soldiers that way because of the rollover uh, accidents, uh, either falling on streams, and, and or just rollover on the on the highways. But uh, that is a great great tool, mm-hmm. that, as you said, Barry. Um, yeah. And definitely don't want to do it on a full stomach. No, because <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the things I had to do as well going before I went to Iraq is going through that, uh, and definitely only want to do it once. Mm-hmm. But it is a eye opener uh, as to when you're sitting there with all your full gear. And you rolled over, not at full speed, obviously, but at uh, pretty good speed. Mm-hmm. And then you have to react and save your gunner that's sitting out of the hatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a phone call from uh, Kevin of Bloomington. Kevin? Yes. Go right ahead. Okay. Hi, John. This is Kevin Busey. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good. Uh, you probably remember I'm working here at IU now. And uh, I wanted to address a question that was made earlier about film crews or movies being made in Muscatuck. Um, uh, well, let me introduce myself. I, I'm formerly uh, John's deputy. Worked at Muscatuck for several years, and uh, and uh, but while I was there, we had uh, we had a few film crews come come through um, Discovery Channel for one, and did some filming. I don't know if any of that ever made primetime TV, but uh, that did happen. Um, and, and anybody wants information on that, they can go to the, the Muscatex website and look, look up the um, public affairs um, contact information, and uh, they can get information about that from that. So. Okay. Kevin, thanks. Hey, Kevin, thanks for clarifying that. Uh, there's so many activities that happened down in Muscatex, I was not tracking that, those. All right. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks for your call, Kevin. Okay, 855-811-877-285-9348. And the live chat is at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Now, Colonel Silva, you were in Iraq for how long? Uh, uh, we spent uh, nine months on the ground. The whole deployment was 12 months. Uh, mm-hmm. I went with the 76th Infantry Brigade Combat Team from mm-hmm. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, largest uh, mobilization for the state. I uh, believe 3,500 soldiers at one time. Are you a Hoosier? Yes. And can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how the training prepared you for, for what happened over there? Were there any, any specific things that you can recall that you said, boy, I'm, I'm glad I was prepared for this or, you know, the training really helped me in this particular situation? No, fortunately, I, you know, in theater I was never engaged, so I was, uh, d- didn't have to uh, exercise any of the things that I, that I went through in the training. Uh, but it, obviously it, it, 
keeps your your battle mind, if you would, your, your focus on your mission. So the training was definitely worthwhile in that. In theater, uh, my responsibility was mostly managing the facilities in in the base camp or in the villages outside of the base, where we had a uh, tremendous amount of construction. Uh, at Atterbury, you know, for as like I said, I've been there ten years. I've only been a deputy for about a year and four months. Prior to that, I was the uh, director of public works, so all the construction kind of fell underneath uh, my, my realm. Mm-hmm. Perfect segue for me to go to Iraq or, or uh, to continue on with that mission. So mm-hmm. when I was informed of that, uh, if I wanted to go, I obviously wanted to go and, and do something I knew what, what I could do. Mm-hmm. So you worked with contractors and made sure that things were happening as they were supposed to happen and getting done. Uh, y- yes, ma'am. Not only in the base, but also we had some quality of life projects outside the base, uh, i.e. sewer water projects or building schools outside the installation that uh, were uh, definitely worthwhile projects. All right. We've got one more caller we're going to get to. It's Doug from Lyons out in Greene County. Doug? Hi. Um, just a quick question. I went to Atterbury some years back and was told that it had been a war camp uh, during World War II and was shown a uh, bunker where the Italian prisoners had painted frescoes and they helped use that as their chapel. Is Do you know if it's still there or the history of it? And I'll get off the air now. Okay, thanks, thanks Doug. It, it is definitely still there. Uh, it definitely constructed in World War II. Uh, it was constructed by Italian prisoners of war, as you stated, Using all uh, surplus material, nothing was bought or, or, or donated to the Italians to build this. They did it all with just uh, um, stuff laying around and stuff that the military did not need at that point. And it's a beautiful little facility on the north post of uh, the installation, which we still keep and maintain uh, and want to make it at one of our historical markers. Mm-hmm. Are there other sites on the base uh, like that, other historically significant sites? Uh, I, yes, ma'am. There's the, the chapel, which is still the original chapel. All the, uh, the way inside, if you walk into it, it's the same thing you would walk into if it was 1941 or 42 when it was constructed. And the other historical item for us is, is our beloved rock uh, that sits in the entrance of the installation that was carved by a prisoner of war, uh, Italian prisoner of war. Um, mm-hmm. Back in forty forty two, I believe. Mm-hmm. So the base was originally established during World War Two, or at the onset of World War Two. Uh, yeah, yes, ma'am. <clears throat> uh, it, it was. There was uh, uh, eight hundred some homesteads that were um, moved out of the to make way for the installation using the eminent domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, because we've got less than a minute to go. I mean, you're going to draw down, and your mobilization duties will, will be, I guess, essentially over on October first. But if um, God forbid we get inv- involved in something else like six months later. How quickly can you get that mobilization uh, part back up? Fairly quickly. I mean, we'll remain sca- uh, scalable, so we're able to surge if we need to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't send everybody home, obviously, so we'll still have some folks there that can uh, surge um, much quicker than we did it in 2003. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're out of time. I want to thank our guests today. That was Lieutenant Colonel John Silva from Camp Atterbury, Muscatatuck. Also, Barry Rubin's been here from SPIA. Thanks, Barry. Um, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, our producers, Gretchen Frazee and Emily Wright, and Stan Jastrzewski is back today helping us out. And Engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.